Good morning. Glad you could be with us. It's good to see that so many people are away looking after their mums on Mother's Day. It's really good. It's good to appreciate your mum. She's not always there for you at some stage, you know. You're on your own. So give your mum a big hug when you see her today, if you haven't already. We're doing a series called Life as an Obedient Disciple. And I'm just uh, filling in for David Wilson, who will be here next week and the week after. And last week he, he spoke on the, the vine and the branches and, and he told us about abiding in me or remaining in me. And this little section that we've read this morning together is the continuation of that discussion. Last week somebody pointed out to me that perhaps this conversation didn't take place in the upper room, you know. So a couple of people mentioned it. So I did due diligence and went home and looked up many commentators. It's <laughs> uh, divided. Some say that at the end of uh, verse uh, chapter 14 where the Lord says, come now, let us leave, they actually left straight away. Others think that it's a very heavy conversation to have walking down the road to the Garden of Gethsemane. I would like to say, sometimes it's really interesting where things are said. Sometimes it can give us context. But the important thing is, brothers and sisters, what was said. Okay, Let's not worry about whether it was in the upper room or on the way to Gethsemane's garden. Let's not get distracted. What was said is of vital importance to us. So this morning I have three questions to ask you and you don't have to answer right away but I want you to keep them in your mind and at the end you must be able to answer the third question because it's vital to your relationship with Jesus Christ. The first question, is Jesus Christ your saviour? That's an important question. And what does that mean? It means that was there a point in your, in your life where you, you said, sorry, Lord, for being disobedient, for being rebellious, for paying no attention to you at all. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me and be my saviour. Or words to that effect. Did you repent and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be your saviour? The second, I hope so, I hope so. The second question is, is Jesus Christ your Lord? Different thing. Is there a, is, is, is your life being lived consistent with the Lord's will? Are you following the Lord's directions, his guidance, his commandments to the way in which you should live your life? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he guiding your life? Are you living a life to please him? Very important question. Very important. Has a tremendous impact on your life today, tomorrow, and when you meet the Lord in the air face to face. It's going to be a great time to meet the Lord, but, uh, you know, there'll be questions asked. Interesting question. Is the Lord 
Jesus, is Jesus Christ your Lord? And the third one, is Jesus Christ your friend? That's a very popular question. Populist movement in the 70s and 80s, make Jesus your friend. That's a good question. Is Jesus your friend? We're going to look at that a little bit in more detail as we go through this passage. But of those three questions, the last question is the only question that can be reversed or, or is reciprocal, you know, and be rational. Like, you can't say, am I Jesus Christ's saviour? You can't say, um, am I Jesus Christ's Lord? But you can ask, you can say, Am I a friend to Jesus Christ? You can ask that, and it's asked here in this passage. So it's interesting. And we'll explore that in greater detail when we get down to verse 12. And there were lots of other interesting topics that were discussed in the upper room or on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. In any case... Um, it was during the, the farewell discourse, you know, just before the Lord went to Calvary. This is when this uh, conversations conversations took place. And so one of the topics that, that was discussed was love and what it looks like from a divine perspective. Not what Hollywood tells us, not what your sweetheart might think, you know, say to you, oh, you love me, you know, this is how it looks but from a divine perspective. And that, that topic is covered in verses 9 and 10 and 12 and 14 of this passage. And then get, carrying on from what David said last week about bearing fruit, this, this passage also talks about the, the, the quality of the fruit. So the Lord mentions that as well. That's why it's a continuation of, of last week's discussion. And then there's the tasks of the obedient servant. Right through this chapter, the Lord talks about what it looks like to live a life as an obedient disciple. Now, I'll be stopping at 17 because David will take it up from, from, from there next week. So it's going to be an interesting time this morning looking at that. The key word, the key word in this passage is obedience. Or obey. It's an interesting word. Obedience means the act or practice of obeying, dutiful or submissive compliance to authority. I have to think about that for a bit, don't you? I was always told that if you're not sure what the dictionary means by anything, look at the synonyms. It's a hard word for me to say, but the synonyms. And so I did that. It's an interesting list. I'm going to share it with you this morning. You think, oh, this is so boring, Raph. Please bear with me. I, I discovered that, that obedience can be looked at um, from a negative perspective, like, you know, told what to do. You're bossing me around, making me do things. When you ask someone what does obedience mean, that comes across. So there are negative synonyms that give a negative uh, 
uh, aspect of the word obedience. For example, amenable, compliant, docile, differential, obliging, resigned, tame, under control, subservient. Any wonder people don't like to be obedient, if that's what it means. But, you know, in that, in that list of synonyms, there's also the positive aspects of obedience. Have a listen to these ones. Attentive. Yeah, we like to be attentive. Devoted, dutiful, faithful, honouring, loyal, observant and, and, and venerating. So that's the positive side. But you can also get an understanding of a word or the definition by looking at the antonym. You would not believe, you know, the sort of person I am or was. You know, I really, I'm really into this now. But but before I couldn't couldn't be bothered. But listen to this. This this is going to hopefully excite you as much as excited me. The antonyms for obedience. It means the opposite, right? Right, so if you're not obedient, this is what you like. Contrary, disobedient, insolent, misbehaving, mutinous, obstinate, rebellious. All right? I don't know if that's helped you at all, but that really helps me to understand what words mean. So... The life as an obedient disciple is the question, is the topic. Why is it important? Obedience is linked to serving and pleasing God. It is really important in the scripture. And it's that important that it's one of the highlighted things in the life of Christ. All right. We talk about the Lord going to the cross, rightly so. Very, very important. But sometimes we 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 minimise the life of Christ as an example of an obedient servant. We sang about it the last song, which is great. But Christ's example, even in these last uh, in these uh, few uh, chapters that we've read in the upper room or the farewell ministry are full of the, of the examples of how Christ lived his life as an obedient servant. It starts off in chapter 13, doesn't it, with the washing of the feet. We, we understand that. The Lord's giving us an example of being an obedient servant. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. In chapter 14, verse 9, uh, it tells us how the Lord lived in a way that displayed, in obedience to displayed the attributes of the Father. In chapter 14, verse 31, he demonstrates his love to the Father by being obedient and obeying and doing the things the Father asked him to do. In chapter 15, verse 10 that we read today, it talks about that he was, he was obedient to his Father's commands. And, and then it talked about he was learning from his father the origins of his words. And so the links between the Lord's obedience 
and the example that he left for us to follow are very strong, very evident. What about in Hebrews 5 and uh, chapter 5, verse 8? It says here, although he was a son. Now that's important, that little phrase, because you'd think that the son of God, you know, would get a few exemptions, would be looked up, you know, have be a favourite of God. But it says, although he was a son, he learned. What? Obedience from what he suffered and once and once made perfect he became the source of eternal salvation for all what who obey it's all there isn't it obedience obeying what about philippians chapter 2 and verse 8 that that passage about the steps of humility that the lord had to take it said at the end he became obedient even unto death. In Romans 5.19, listen to this. It says, For as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the, what? Obedience of one man, the many were made righteous. I didn't write this, brothers and sisters. It's the word of God. I hope you noticed that. And and in John 14, verse 31, we read it a few weeks back. The word obedience doesn't actually come up in that verse, but listen to, to what it says. Chapter 14, verse 31 of John says, the Lord says, I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me to do. That would be a great definition of obedience, yes? So you can see, can't you, how important obedience is to God, to relationships between God and his son. Obedience is vital to the relationship between our salvation and our righteousness before God. And brothers and sisters, we're going to discover this morning that it's vital to our friendship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. So in verses 8 and 9 of this passage that we read together, I hope you've got your Bible open because we're going to be looking at some of these words and passages. It shows us the importance of love and obedience Here's a little exercise. What is the first commandment? The first commandment. Audience participation. Okay. Now, brothers and sisters, we, we get caught up with loving, 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 right? But that, what is that? It's not, it's not an advice. It's not a meme. It's a commandment. We are commanded to love. The Lord your God. What does a commandment imply? Must be done. You must obey it. You don't do it. What are you being? Disobedient. So, in verses 9 and 10 here, it shows us the importance of the link between love and obedience, and we see it as a circle, don't we? We see it. Listen to what it says. As the Father has loved me, this is the Lord speaking, 
So I have loved you, now you remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. It sounds like you're talking round and round in circles because it is. This is how it works. It's reciprocal, you know. One commentator points out that perhaps... Obedience is the hub of the wheel of love and relationship with God. It's an interesting concept. And, and, and it's, an, it's a continuous thing. A circle doesn't stop. It's continuous. That's what that, that little, those two verses indicate. You know, loving, obeying, remaining, loving, obeying, remaining. Between the Father the Son and the people of God. It's hard to get your head around, but when you think about it, that's what it reads. That's how it reads. If you're not doing this, if this is not happening, then we are disobedient children. Not that God doesn't love us. Please don't get that wrong. As a parent... You love your kids. You love your children. All the mums out there today love their children. But we know that sometimes children can be disobedient. Children can behave in a certain way, do certain things, or not do certain things that we'd like them to do, and they displease us. Do you love them any less? No. Will God not love you? If you don't obey his commandments, no, that's not true. The word for love in this passage is the word agapio, with an O at the end, right? Which is different from agape, which is just has an E at the end of it. That's probably not pronounced right, but I'm just stressing that because it is a different word. And the the Greek definition of the word agapio is to love, finding one's joy in something. That's what it means. That's the word that John used. That's the word the Lord selected when he was speaking this. So he's saying that to remain in God's love is finding the joy. And we know what it's how joyous being in love can be. Hopefully some of us have long memories of that, you know. We can remember that. And it leads us into this verse here, verse 11, where the Lord talks about, and I I tell you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That's what it's referring to. It's, It's not that God won't love us anymore. But when he, our relationship with him won't bring him any joy if we don't do these things that we're looking at this morning. Still be a child of God, brothers and sisters. Still part of the family, absolutely. Can you remember when you misbehaved at home? Can you remember the look on your mum's face? The scowl? I used to be frightened of dad. You know, dad, it was dad's job to administer the discipline at our house. 
I was still loved. I was still part of the family. Yet it wasn't a pleasant place to be in, from my perspective. I'm sure mum and dad didn't like doing it either. That's what it's talking about here. The relationship that we have with our Lord and Saviour and, and his Father and our Father. Man's idea of joy right, is to be as happy as he can be by leaving God out of his life. That's how the world sees it. Joy is doing whatever I want that makes me happy, even if it's only for a second. Take drugs, drink alcohol, abuse, whatever it might be. Leaving God out. But the Lord's thought here is real joy comes from taking God into our lives as much as possible. And then the joy will be complete, will be filled. I want you to look at that little verse again. Verse 11. The Lord says, I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You know, sometimes when we talk, we use the word may and might as interchangeable. And when you know the difference between the two words, they're very similar, but when you know the difference between the words, you can really pick up how perhaps the sentence isn't quite correct. What does may mean? Main is used to express what is possible, what is factual, or at least could be factual. That's why it's used. That's why the Lord said this. If we do these things, then it's possible to have complete joy. It's, 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 it's true. It can happen. But if the Lord had to use the word might, if it had been read that your joy might be complete, the word might is generally used as hypothetical. Hmm. Hypothetical. It's counterfactual. It's remotely possible. So what God, what the Lord is saying here, brothers and sisters, you want to have joy? You want it to have it completely? It's possible. It's possible. So, are we lacking joy? Are you lacking joy? Could it be that from, from last week's message that we're not remaining in, in the Lord? We're not remaining in his love? Or, as this passage talks this morning, is it because, as the Lord says, you're not, we are not, I am not obeying his command. That's a very important question. The remedy is very simple, brothers and sisters. The Lord gives it to us here. But often it's difficult to apply to our lives. In verse 12, he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 
Love each other as I have loved you. And that's referring back to when the Lord first introduced this little little command, this new command in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Can you just flip across to it? I'm just going to read it out to see if you can pick up the context of this, right? A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is the emphasis in that instance? What's the emphasis the Lord puts on there that's different from this one, you think? The emphasis is it's a witness. By us loving one another, it tells the people across the road, the people that you work with, the people we rub shoulders with, that we belong to Jesus Christ. We are his disciples. And when the Lord brings that command back up again, he has, it's, you know, it's at the same time. It's just part of the whole com- big conversation that they had. It's for a different reason. Now, a couple of years back, I had the privilege of, of spending a couple of Sundays with you talking about that commandment back in chapter 13. And we looked at extensively how, how we can love one another. But what, what's happened here now is that the Lord says to them, you have to love one another. Why? The reason is this. He was leaving. They didn't have hindsight. The Lord hadn't left yet. He hadn't been crucified. He was leaving. The leader of the, of the group was leaving. The rabbi, the teacher, the master, all those terms of the Lord... That, that the disciples used, he was leaving. You know, when, when an, an important leader, a good leader, an influential leader leaves, there are struggles. Oh, who's going to be the leader now? There's a power vacuum. Leadership struggles. There's frictions. There's factions. The Lord says, you know... You need to love one another, just as I have loved you. And he uses that little phrase, greater love has no man. And people often will attribute that to what we've remembered this morning, Calvary, and and it's applicable. But it's not really the reason that he used it here. They had no idea that he was referring to Calvary here. That's the sort of love, the sort of love that would motivate me to lay my down, my life down for you, Laurie. Would have to be great love, wouldn't it? Yeah. And vice versa, yeah, for you to give up your life for me, there'd have to be a strong love. If we have that sort of love for each other, brothers and sisters, the sort of love that I have for my family, I would lay down my life for my kids, my family, my grandchildren, absolutely. Your grandkids? Your kids? I don't know. I'd have to think about it very hard. You know, that's true, isn't it? It's true. But the Lord says if we have that sort of love, then we would not fight. We would look after each other. We wouldn't worry about who's in charge. A believer's support structure is the church. That's what the Lord was trying to give, get across to these, to these disciples. And it's still true today. 
You know, it's not the building church. I mean, you know that. It's the people. And right from the the inception of the New Testament church in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42, what was it that was the keynote? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, to prayer. It was the togetherness. It was meeting each other's needs, being together, looking out for each other. It wasn't programs. It wasn't even a point, that point, evangelism. It was taking care of each other. As a believer lives out his faith or her faith, the more the world will hate them. David will talk about that next week. That's the next thing the Lord talks about in his conversation. So, you know, he's building, he's building a picture here, isn't he? The main support and comfort and help needs to come from one another. And we looked at that a little while back. It needs to come from believers, not from the world. It needs to come from the disciples of Jesus Christ who know and understand what's important to us and to God and to be obedient disciples. Have you thought about those three questions I asked at the start? What about the third one that I asked? How are you going with answering that? Is Jesus Christ your friend? That's the question. And then the, other, the flip side would be, am I a friend to Jesus? I'd like to think that you all say yes, but you know, let me tell you something. Just like the other two questions, they have a test. If you never said, sorry Lord, please forgive me, Jesus Christ is not your saviour. If you never live to please the Lord, follow his commands and instructions, live in obedience to that, he's not your Lord. The third one has a test too, and here it is, verse 14. A friend, the dictionary definition is is someone who is different from an acquaintance. An acquaintance is someone who's known to you, but not a close friend. I have lots of acquaintances. A friend is someone who's different from an associate. An associate is a partner or an ally in a business, in a venture, in a a movement. The dictionary definition of a friend is one, a person attached to another by feelings of affection or personal regard. Two, on good terms, not hostile. Three, gives assistance and support. And the Lord gives us here his definition of a friend. You are my friends, he says in verse 14, if you do what I command. I didn't write that. I just read it. The Lord wrote that. The Lord spoke that. You know, this term is not used very often in the the New Testament. A friend of Jesus. The friend of God in the Old Testament wasn't used very often. Abraham, 
was a friend of God. Do you know anyone else that was referred to as a friend of God? The 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 three things the three questions I asked Saviour, Lord and Friend have four attributes, I guess you want to call them. First of all, all three of them are conditional. They're all conditional. They all require something to be done. Must ask the Lord to be your Saviour. Must acknowledge Him as Lord. That's what it tells us in Romans. And a friend requires obedience to the commands. All three of them are visible. Well, they should be visible. People should see that you you have a saviour and a lord. You should live differently. And so so is a friend. Involves in doing something, doesn't it? As we've read here, doing something with the friendship. It's continuous. Now, again, this is, you know, I became a Christian. I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be my saviour in 1980. So, is that it? Is he no longer my? I asked him then. Is that it? No. I asked him to be my. I asked him to be my Lord and saviour in 1980. Was that it? Is that finished now? I did that. I did that once. I did it back in 1980. Is that it? No, of course not. He's still my saviour. He's still my lord. And friendship is a is 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 a is a is an ongoing thing. And I have to I have to confess. This is what the the the, the theologians say that this is the word the verb here is a present subjective, which means it could be read as if you are doing these things, you are my friend. That's what it means. It's a continuous thing. It's not. It's not. A like on Facebook, be a friend on like Facebook. It's not a yes. I have guy have I have, Jesus is my friend, and that's the end of it. And it's comprehensive. Do as I do what I command is in the NIV. The King James has do whatsoever I ask or command, and the Greek word says do all I command. That's where I struggle, brothers and sisters. I have to confess that sometimes I pick and choose. I prioritise things, you know. I think that's more important than this one. That's not how it works. What did the Lord say? He said, whatever I command, all that I command, if you do that, Raph, we're friends. You're my friend. No, no, no. You might be thinking, you know, it sounds, it sounds a bit, oh, you know, the Lord's putting a lot of strings and a lot of conditions on it, but hey, He's the Lord. That's what sovereign is. Let's not kid ourselves. But there's an upside here, you know. If you are a friend, verse 15, it says, we're taken into a new privileged position, a new relationship. We have the confidence of God. You know, Abraham, you know, when, when, it, when the Lord came with the two angels and they said, you know what, should we tell Abraham about what's going to happen down at Sodom? And, and you know what? They said, he's a friend of God. We're going to tell Abraham what's going to happen. That's how Lot was saved. By Abraham 
taken into the confidence of God of what's going to happen in the future. That's you and me, brothers and sisters. If we're friends of the Lord, friends of God, we have the confidence of God. He shares things with us for the future, for our lives, his plans for us. Are we friends of the Lord Jesus Christ really? Really friends? By the test that he has laid down himself. That's how we can test it. I can't tell you whether you're his friend or not, but you can. The Lord can tell and you can tell. Just like salvation. Just like lordship. I can't tell whether you're saved or not. But you can and the Lord can. Interesting, isn't it? And just to finish up, verse 16 states some of the great benefits of in this new relationship. I love this little passage. A lot of people misinterpret it, but the Lord says, I have chosen you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, everlasting fruit or, or fruit that will last. That's the quality of the fruit that we're to bear. Kingdom work. We have the privilege, brothers and sisters, to have kingdom work that will last or has the potential to last for all of eternity. What a privileged position. And if we're in that position, we will have, we will have, it says there, the, the access to the Father in our prayer life and He will give us whatever we ask in the Lord's name. Verse 17, He finishes up with the same thing. He says, This is my command. Love one another. So, brothers and sisters, you have to love me. It's an obligation. It's a command from the Lord. Unfortunately, it works both ways. I have to love you too. Not lip service. I have to show you. I I have to demonstrate it to you. And you want the Lord to be your friend. You have just discovered this morning what a true friend of Jesus Christ looks like. I would encourage you, I would encourage you to look at that relationship critically this morning and see if you need some, to do some work on that. Thanks for listening.